This week in KMA Land, avian flu confirmed in Page County snow geese. More wind ordinance moratorium talk in Page County. Mayor makes supervisors candidacy official. Montgomery County supervisors hear carbon pipeline concerns. And the latest on the Hamburg School District's charter high school proposal. I'm Mike Peterson. Page County became the latest target for the avian flu this week. Page County Conservation and Public Health officials confirmed Wednesday that highly pathogenic avian influenza was discovered in snow geese at Rat Park north of Shenandoah. County Conservation Director John Schwab told KMA News his office was first contacted two weeks ago after dead geese were discovered at the park. I contacted DNR and between DNR and my organization, we collected a number of dead birds last Monday. Um, I think the total number was about 70. They were all snow geese that we collected, then DNR tested 10 of them and sent them out to the lab, and then we got reports back this week that they were positive for the the avian flu virus. Schwab says it's not uncommon for wild birds to have HPAI. The avian flu is always present in the wild bird population, but just this is the strain that crosses over to domesticated flocks very quickly. So from the guidelines we were getting is just have individuals just watch their flocks. A big way that it's transmitted is actually through the feces of the wild birds. So if there's a lot of wild birds around domesticated flocks, you know, just really just watch for the symptoms in the domesticated animals. Symptoms included decreased water consumption, lack of energy and appetite, soft or thin-shelled or misshapen eggs, swelling of the head, eyelids, comb, wattles and hocks, difficulty breathing and coughing, sneezing and nasal discharge, among others. Though health experts say the bird flu is highly contagious and often fatal to domestic bird populations, no human cases of avian viruses have been confirmed in the U.S. Schwab encourages residents to enjoy outdoor wildlife with caution. We're still telling people definitely still go out and enjoy it. Um, just, you know, kind of use the common sense when it comes to, you know, dealing with wild animals, you know, stay a good distance from them. And definitely if you see a dead wild animal, um, you know, if it's in the parks, contact my office and definitely stay away from it. He adds hunters and others should use extra precautions in handling wild game, especially during processing. Anyone suspecting signs of HPII in their flocks should contact their local veterinarian or the Iowa Department of Agriculture at 515-281-5305. You can also call Page County Conservation at 712-542-3864 or Page County Public Health at 712-850-1212. On second thought, Page County's Board of Supervisors may consider a wind turbine moratorium after all. During its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the supervisors briefly discussed Ordinance 2019-2 regarding wind energy conversion systems. The discussion also followed a closed session regarding the topic with legal counsel per Code of Iowa Chapter 21.5c. During the discussion, Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong said he would be comfortable bringing back the moratorium discussion at next week's meeting. We've already had a lot of good insight on this. Property setbacks, height, distance on public right-of-ways, depth, removals, uh, a lot more decommissioning thoughts. The board had previously rejected the moratorium based on potential litigation with the current wind project proposal through Invenergy saying he is entirely on board with bringing the discussion back. Supervisor Jacob Holmes says serious debate on changes comes far too late. I'd, I'd just like to say in the discussion of that, this should have been done two years ago, a year ago. This is way, way been avoided and it should not have been. 
And it's very upsetting. I'm glad we're willing to look at it now, though. I think it should be done as soon as possible. The board heard comments from several residents over the past two months and similarly on previous projects dating back to 2020. Following the discussion, Armstrong told KMA News the proposed moratorium discussion on the wind ordinance would not impact the Shenandoah Hills wind farm from Invenergy, currently under review by County Engineer J.D. King. But changes are on a fast track and could quicken developments with the equally contentious county solar ordinance. It would be for future projects. So it would be something coming up in the future if there ever was another one in Page County. And it probably, um, depending on how we go, we may uh, possibly, we're going to move forward quicker now on the solar ordinance and make sure that we've got everything there that we feel is important. And that'll be coming up pretty quick, too, on the agenda. Armstrong says advice from legal counsel allowed him to feel comfortable making the change. He adds County Attorney Carl Songson will continue to work with him in finding more information on proposed changes. Now that I, I feel comfortable in doing that, that's why I suggested that we have our county attorney bring up that, those specifics. And also they will be gathering some more information regarding uh, decommissioning, um, road use, making sure that all of our bases are covered when it comes time for us to actually look at the plan, see the plan, and decide if we're going to vote and approve it or not approve it. The board took no formal action on the topic at Tuesday's meeting. Well, Supervisors Chair Alan Armstrong faces competition in his quest for a second full term in the Page County boardroom. Todd Maher returned his nomination papers this week to run against Armstrong for the 2nd District Supervisor's Republican nomination in the June primary. Maher has been employed for 25 years at Shenandoah's Pella Corporation plant, where he currently serves as a continuous improvement technician specializing in cost savings and efficiencies. He also served various positions with the Shenandoah Volunteer Fire Department for the past 19 years, most recently as captain. Maher tells KMA News he first considered running for county office a year and a half ago at the height of COVID-19. In terms of mask and vaccine mandates, he says the supervisors failed to protect the individual freedoms of local residents during the pandemic. I felt like, you know, our individual rights were being uh, kind of attacked and not being followed and not being protected. And I thought that was something that the supervisors of the county should be at least doing for the citizens of, of Page County. And so I started taking a little bit more active role in learning about the county and attending meetings and watching them online and Zoom and, and so forth. I was just very concerned with some of the, the things that they were voting on and, and really not willing to stand up for individual rights. Mayor says he's also concerned about the individual rights of landowners in the wind turbine issue. There's a lot to be said about individual rights and protecting those smaller acreages and those non-participating landowners that I think really are real important issues that we need to address as county supervisors and you know, we need to make sure that we're supporting all of the residents and not just the large landowners and, and so forth. However, Mayher says he's focused on other issues, such as the county's road conditions. Obviously, roads are always a big concern with all the citizens. We have some roads now that, just for example, J53, J55, and maybe J14 that are ground up that we really need to get those back into working order and put back the way that they needed to be. And so I think that's an important issue. Mayher adds the county must make its tax structure inviting to potential businesses. Well, as of earlier this week, Armstrong, County Recorder Brenda Assize, and County Attorney Carl Songson 
were the only other candidates returning petitions for the June 7th GOP primary. Friday at 5 p.m. was the deadline to return papers to the county auditor's office, and that was before this recording. So stay with KMA News. We'll have an update for you next week. Montgomery County officials fielded a barrage of comments over a proposed carbon dioxide pipeline and the use of eminent domain to secure property for the project during Tuesday morning's County Board of Supervisors meeting. Discussion regarding a proposed pipeline and a county eminent domain compensation commission was placed on the board's agenda. Montgomery County is among local counties impacted by Summit Carbon Solutions' proposed Midwest Carbon Express pipeline. Numerous residents voiced objections to the project and called for action against the use of eminent domain. Tom Honeyman of Emerson says the project would affect land owned by Indian Creek Stock Farms a mile and a half east of Emerson in Montgomery County. Honeyman says he's strongly opposed to any private company that seeks eminent domain rulings at the local and state level. This pipeline will not solve any CO2 problems. It will not raise the price of corn. It will not save the ethanol industry. This maneuver to acquire eminent domain is basically theft. If I were to rent land or oblige an easement on this property, I would expect to be paid annual rent or damages. Margaret McQuan says the very nature of a carbon dioxide pipeline is disturbing and that the carbon footprint should be considered versus what is sequestered. The Walnut Creek, Indian Creek, and Old Nishnabotna watersheds are top priority watersheds for erosion and flood control. The pipeline will run right through these watersheds and disturb these soils. And, you know, once you disturb soil, it is very hard to control erosion in that. It will cross right through the Walnut Creek and Indian Creek. West Township resident Jan Norris says the pipeline is proposed to run behind her residence and between her two farms. Norris noted it will be March of next year before the Iowa Utilities Board makes a final decision on eminent domain eligibility for the project, and she says a lot can happen in 12 months. The biggest question to ask yourself is, is eminent domain for this project all right, as long as it's your neighbor's property, regardless of how we feel about ethanol? Do you know, do you think it's okay as long as it's not your land? Please formally object to the use of eminent domain for the CO2 pipelines. Supervisors Chair Mark Peterson asked for the discussion to be placed on the agenda. Peterson says he's received several phone calls from residents against the pipeline. He expressed concerns that Summit would use eminent domain as an ace in the hole in securing property for the pipeline. I have yet to get a call in favor of the pipeline. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't somebody out there, but uh, I'm... I'm getting two calls, either totally against the pipeline or we're willing to think about the pipeline, but we want a level playing field. And my personal opinion, this is not a level playing field. Supervisor Donna Robinson agreed with Peterson. She added the county would have no control over the project other than to hire a pipeline inspector. No action was taken on the Compensation Committee proposal. Shenandoah officials hope to dispose of a number of city-owned properties early next month. At its regular meeting Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council set public hearings for April 12th at 6 p.m. on numerous property sales. Shenandoah City Administrator A.J. Lyman tells KMA News most of the properties up for sale are vacant lots. Two of the lots targeted for sale are adjoining properties at 300 Sycamore Street and 505 West Valley Street. Lyman says Shenandoah Pregnancy and Resource Center 
placed $50 bids on both properties. The uh, Shenandoah Pregnancy and Resource Center uh, came to us a couple months ago and uh, approached us about it a lot that we didn't think was the right fit for what they were wanting to do. Instead, they asked us for that 300 Sycamore Street property that the building was just torn down on and then the neighboring property, 505 West Valley, which that building has been torn down for about three or four years now, I want to say. Uh, so two adjoining properties for them there that they've requested. High school students will return to the Hamburg School District next school year under a new format. After two previous rejections in the past year and a half, the Hamburg School District's application to add a charter high school was unanimously approved Thursday afternoon by the Iowa State Board of Education. During her presentation to the application, Consultant Bureau of School Improvement Janet Boyd says after interacting with the Hamburg community at a public meeting in February, it appeared clear the charter application had the community's support. So I would tell you that they had a very large turnout for their public meeting with really good questions. Um, there was probably 200 plus community members at the, at the public meeting. So that was a good, a good turnout. Boyd says the application also included waivers for a required start date if no earlier than August 23rd, along with physical education, fine arts, and foreign language requirements. But with all requirements met, Boyd and the Department of Education's recommendation was to approve the application. Hamburg School Superintendent Dr. Mike Wells is also present to answer questions of the board. Board member William May asked about other schools' reactions, such as Sydney. Wells said those connections are still strong, as he does not intend to encourage students to stop attending other schools currently in an agreement with Hamburg. We don't see it ever being more than 60 students, and we will have a tuition agreement with Sydney. We will transport to those schools. Um, we're not encouraging kids who currently are going to other schools to stop going. We're really looking at growing with the kids we have and that every kid would have a real trade when they come out of high school. Contrary to previous applications, Wells was also able to provide more concrete information on the charter school's relationship with Iowa Western Community College. If a student wants to get an AA degree, I'm not interested in being a welder. They will actually sit on Iowa Western campus taking some classes. So we'll have a real partnership for the AA degree. For the others, the construction trades, they'll get Iowa Western credit and either certificate, diploma, or a degree from Iowa Western. They are our partner. May commend, commended the efforts of Wells and his staff for what he calls a raising expectations for students who may have found themselves struggling in a more traditional high school setting. I just think that your kids are no different than the other kids in Iowa, except the community sometimes we have lower expectations about what we can achieve and what we can do. And, and uh, I'm not saying that parents don't want the best for the kids. I'm just saying that's a reality that we deal with. And, and that's, it seems to me you are raising expectations. You are saying there's more out there. I want to help you get there. With the board's approval, Wells says the Hamburg School District will now begin finalizing staff of their new charter school. Clarenda City officials are gathering more information before making a decision on a major street renovation project. Meeting in regular session Wednesday, the Clarenda City Council tabled a decision on reducing Glen Miller Avenue from four lanes to three lanes with a center turning lane and bike lanes. Earlier this month, the council heard a presentation from Snyder & Associates project engineer Dave Sturm. Sturm told the council that the street is being resurfaced this summer and that changing the configuration would make sense at the same time as the resurfacing. 
Two weeks ago, the council heard concerns from Pastor Mitch Grossamy of the First Baptist Church, which would lose its handicapped parking stalls on Glen Miller Avenue under the new configuration. City Manager Gary McLarnon says the engineer reviewed the area and adding some parking in front of the church would be costly. With where it's at right now, uh, about the only thing that could be done uh, in front of the church is it would have to extend into private property, uh, which would be the church property. And he said you could gain three stalls by doing that, but you also would have to move the sidewalk in order to do that. So a lot of it would fall on private property because the right of way is not real big there. And his estimate to do that would be roughly $46,000. McLarnon proposed placing handicapped parking stalls on either of the two side streets, East Wells or Division, to accommodate the church. Grossamy says handicapped parking on the side street still means a considerable walk for members of his congregation. I do have a few people who walking a block would be a concern. Um, and so that would be... Uh, a concern with that plan um, and then uh, putting one on Division Street and, and I don't know how this sounds to everybody but that's handicapped people walking up a hill whereas where we are you know they've got a straight shot in. Grossamy says the church does have a parking lot behind the building that enters to the basement, but they do not have an elevator or chairlift to those unable to climb stairs. He says they could also explore a drop-off location in front of the church. We could have ushers who walk people up in that situation. Um, I mean, yeah, that is something that we could consider. Um, I'd have to talk to our people and, and find out how to work that up. Um, so that is something we could consider. We could look at that and, and talk about how to work around that. Grossamy asked the council the city would be willing to offer some assistance for the cost of installing the parking spots in front of the building. Mayor Craig Hill says he has concerns with using public money for a project and private property because of the precedent it could set. I mean, I can't speak for the council. They're the individuals that are, are the ones that are making the decisions. But I would say, from my standpoint, going back and looking at the, the way government should be working, is that we are here for the, you know, we have taxpayers' money and we need to use that money in a sense that helps the greater good of the community and, and, and for the, you know, the taxpayer group. And I know that your, your, your people are actual taxpayers, but it is an, an independent organization. And so therefore I would not be inclined to support anything like that. Following discussion, the council agreed to table the issue until its next meeting, April 13th. They asked Grossamy to return with information on how many handicapped spots the church would need on a typical Sunday. Some blank space in downtown Shenandoah as a future occupant and a future business has a new name. Groundbreaking ceremonies were held Monday morning for the city's new laundromat located at 601 West Sheridan Avenue. Shenandoah City Council approved the sale of city property to Sorensen Auto by a one-vote margin last month as the site of the new business. When finished, the business will be known as the Laundry Solution. Sorensen shop manager Kathy Silvestri told KMA News the name speaks for itself. It is the Laundry Solution of the community. We needed something that the community, you know, looked up to, and this is a great need. It is... It's honestly a great door for the community. Sorensen says the structure will fit into the downtown area's aesthetics. There will be brickwork along the bottom. 
we are looking at either earth tones or some grays. Um, there will be a slight purple in there if we do go with grays and blacks. We want something that is, you know, it's not just a plain stand out like a sore thumb building. It will fit in with a downtown that is a must. Jan Sorensen will use local contractors in the building's construction. We have Gowan Plumbing. They are the first to start. To proceed them will be Mike Hodges Construction out of Farragut. Swift will be providing our internet, of course. John Fair is one of the contractors. He's, he's local. We have some local electricians set up, so it is a must to keep it local. Saying the project is at the mercy of supply deliveries, Silvestri says the construction's completion is targeted between October and December. City officials tore down the former Radio Shack building at that West Sheridan location in 2015. Shenandoah High School students wasted no time in tackling a housing rehabilitation project. Meeting in a regular session late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board heard an update in the high school building trades classes renovation project at 213 West Sheridan Avenue. SHS instructor Sarah F. Martin is a member of the high school's CTE housing construction management team. Martin says work began in February, shortly after the Shenandoah City Council approved the sale of the property to the school district for one dollar. All the students are OSHA certified at this point. We've cleaned out the clutter. Demolition has started and it's been cleaned up. We're working on floor plans right now and we're starting to work with contractors to come in and say, here's our dream and what's really possible. And then we'll have some updates with the advisory board. Denise Green is a 612 remote learning coordinator and another management team member. Green says work on the project will continue into the summer as students will receive credit. Mrs. Martin and I met with all the students that were, when we say eligible students that have taken prerequisite classes. So we met with all of them and we had 13 students that were interested in taking the class during the summer and continuing on working in the, on the house. Um, so our next step with that is to plan a parent meeting um, and we plan that for April and then just talk to the parents about the dedication and, and things that the students would have to do during the summer. In addition, students with Shenandoah's Middle School interior decorating class recently inspected the house and developed a design proposal for the high school students as part of the project. And Red Oak officials are taking a new approach to fielding public comments at city council meetings. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the council approved a citizen's request form to be on the council agenda. After providing a revised version that coincided with the current council agenda procedures, Red Oak Mayor Shauna Sylvia said the form will be in lieu of the previous two-minute public comment period allowed by residents in attendance. What this form will do is it gives you the chance to fill this out in advance. It's due on the Tuesday before city council meeting um, by 4.30 to city hall. And we ask that you email it to both myself and to the administrator um, or deliver it to city hall. So it gives you a chance to put a title to it, explain your request, and any actions that you're requesting of the council. While saying she was in favor of the forum, Councilman Janice Lester had a couple of suggestions on improving the efficiency of the forums. While the forum was adopted by the council unanimously, Councilman Brian Bills did express some concerns about the forum replacing a public comment period. Bills had a brief exchange with Silvius, saying he felt it limited citizens' ability to speak in council meetings. So you're going to eliminate the opportunity for people to speak without filling this out? Without filling this out. Yeah, this, this will actually be that so that we are aware of what someone may have before us. 
I just don't want people to think that they that they can't or they're not welcome. You know, that's it seem like it's very old. Sylvia says she has had similar experiences in other communities in the area that have had success with the form for putting residents on the agenda versus having an allotted public comment period. City Clerk Mary Bolton says the form will be available on the city's website and at City Hall, and residents can contact City Hall if they would like a copy of the form emailed to them. And that wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.